Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In our last podcast, we talked about how God provided a safe place for Israel called Goshen, right in the middle of Egypt, and we marveled at how God could keep his people in this set-apart place right in the belly of the beast, so to speak. We talked how we can stay safe in our safe place by keeping ourselves set apart from the world, just like Israel did for many years in Goshen. Today, we want to continue with this story of the Israelites in Egypt. We're going to see how their story parallels our story here in America. When the leaders of a nation not only forget God, but actively work against God's purposes. After this break, let's talk about the perils of having leaders who know not Joseph and Joseph's God, and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Welcome back, everyone. It's good to be here. Always good to see you, Kathy. You know, um, I want to say hello to those who may be joining us for the first time, because I I see as I keep track of who's listening and stuff that we do get uh, new listeners. And so welcome aboard uh, to those of you who are new who may be listening to this podcast uh, for the first time. And I encourage you, as I do for all of our audience, go back and look at listen to some of the podcasts that we've done before. Some of them may be kind of time sensitive, but I think most of them aren't. Most of them are more topic oriented, so yeah, they, the they can be. Will still and the apply. principles even, will even always. Even if some of the current events have changed. <laughs> Absolutely. Last week we we did talk about this idea of God providing a safe place, Goshen, right in the middle of Egypt, uh, for the Israelites, and how He was able to keep them set apart, but right smack dab in the middle mm-hmm. um, of Egypt. So that was kind of interesting. So. Today, we're going to continue along that line and that story. So much to talk about in this, the, the Exodus story oh, itself. Yeah. And that is where we are in our, um, our Torah, Torah, Torah portions, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we, just as a backup, okay, for those of you who may not as be as familiar, we read in um, the end of Genesis, how Jacob's son Joseph literally saved his family's lives and the lives of the Egyptians and many people in the surrounding nations that the famine affected. We read how Pharaoh, who represented the highest governmental power in the nation, was greatly enriched by the work of Joseph and by the favor of Joseph's God, the God of Israel. Basically, you could say God, via Joseph, 
saved Pharaoh's, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. So we have this big famine. Joseph mm-hmm. comes in and saves the day. It makes Pharaoh very, very rich. Yes, it does. You know, and yeah. and and Pharaoh um, recognized that. Right. So he was actually quite grateful Mm -hmm. to to Joseph. And he responded by setting up Joseph's family in the best land of Egypt, the land of Goshen, where the Bible tells us the family grew and they prospered exceedingly, even during the famine. Even during the famine. And this week starts seeing God's plan once again revealed because we have retrospect at our, you know, that's always nice. It's always (laughs) nice. But because they were the the children of Israel were kept in one place rather than being scattered throughout uh, any, you know, if if they'd stayed in the land of Canaan or anywhere else, they may have intermarried, they may have assimilated, they may have spread out over because, you know, you because they could, you know, they could go anywhere they want. But I like to I like to call it this incubation period where conditions were favorable for development of a nation. Uh, Israel goes there as a family, the sons of Jacob, Israel. They go there as a family and they come out a great nation. And they were able to do that. God was able to do that by keeping them in one place. They had all the food and everything that they needed and they prospered and they went forth and multiplied and became a great nation by the time they came out uh, during the Exodus. But as we open the book of Exodus, okay, mm-hmm. um, we we see there that fortunes have kind kind of turned, okay, uh, things have turned against them. Jacob has died, Joseph has died, all the brothers have died, the whole generation has died, mm-hmm. and that Pharaoh had died, okay. So you've got this whole new group of people in play right here, and. Um, these were people, particularly this new Pharaoh, that as the King James Version, I, I love the way it says this. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who knew not Joseph. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the way it says that. It's yeah. better than he didn't know Joseph. It's who knew not Joseph. Not. <laughs> <laughs> One time when I really liked the King James Version, right? Yeah. So there arose a king who knew not Joseph. So, you know, if he didn't know Joseph and that whole story, he didn't know Joseph's God. Um, Because, you know, there was an acknowledgement, Joseph fully acknowledged that his God was the one responsible for him understanding the dream and being able to prepare for that famine. From the beginning, he he gave glory to God. Exactly. So Pharaoh knew that. Okay. Now, Mm -hmm. whether Pharaoh actually believed in that God or just believed in Joseph or whatever, Pharaoh knew that he and Egypt benefited because of Joseph and Joseph's God. Yeah. And even if if Pharaoh, in which I'm sure they did, still feel like there was a pantheon of gods, they he would have thought well wait a minute Joseph's God's pretty good that's you know, exactly he, yeah, right he liked that yes yeah. so you know um, it's important that in a nation that they rem- a nation and its leaders remember its history where have we come from um, and not forget that and remember who helped us to get there mm-hmm. and I think Gary that's kind of what we're dealing with now as a nation we have people in leadership and general populace who forgotten where our nation came from. Yeah, and I think it's a combination of have forgotten and intentionally 
rewriting or intentionally blotting out because when we look at this intent it seems like an intentional uh, um, desire to to change the curriculum in schools not to include certain things and and when you when you don't include these things you don't appreciate the the blessings the struggles or the sacrifices that were made for what we have today. And when you forget the source of the blessing, the source of the rights, and the source of, of the laws, uh, mm-hmm. the things that control us, the kings that keep, you know, we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. When we forget these things, it might, makes it so much easier to break the laws, forget the source of the blessing, be ungrateful, and, uh, you know, just look, at, look in a view that's not accurate. Right. I mean... I think what we're trying to say here is then we've got history that's really based on lies and we've got a lot of people believing the lies, Yes, we do. you know, so then it makes it easier for someone who wants to come in and do something totally different. Mm -hmm. And I do agree with you. I think a lot of this is extremely purposeful uh, from somebody. Mm -hmm. And then it ends up like within the schools, the children just not being taught. So then they don't know any better. And, you know, it gets passed down. You run out of people who are willing to stand up and fight for what they know to be right because they don't know anymore. Right. And you run out of people who remember the truth. Exactly. You know, so that that makes it kind of hard, too. You know, um, I know Pharaoh wasn't elected, okay, like in the same way our government elects Mm -hmm. its leaders. But I kind of want to pose a question for us to think about and the audience to think about right here. And the question is, do bad leaders cause the downfall of the people or does the downfall of the people cause them to choose bad leaders? Mm, on one hand, on the no, other, not other hand. No, the other right? hand. Oh, that's just, yeah, so Jewish. Okay. <laughs> so Hebraic. I think, yes, I, I would agree with that, yeah. that it, it does take, it does happen in both ways. Um, you can definitely, we've seen it as a nation, forget our past as a nation, mm. uh, forget where we've come from, forget the morals be it purposeful or not, rebellion against God or whatever, okay? And then our leaders end up reflecting that. Yeah. And we do see that. Yeah. I think here's another case of that, you know, passage in Deuteronomy, just you run, you grew fat and kicked. That passage talks about, you know, the blessings uh, you know, when we say grew fat, it's talking about you know comfortable, too much, too 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 much prosperity, and you forget the source of that prosperity, and you you rebel. Amen, yeah. amen. And I think that we have definitely that's definitely what's happened here yeah. in in America. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. So whether you can say today we're going to look at kind of the other side of that coin, which is at the leadership. Okay, so today we're going to focus on the leadership, although there's plenty of blame to go around when you're forgetting God and rebelling against God. Okay, but let's look at leadership. And since we're looking at this story with the Pharaoh, let's go and look at Pharaoh. And you know what's always a, a tough point to get past? And it came up again. I forget who I was talking to. Um, that whole idea in the Exodus story of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, I've heard that argument often. People say something like, "Well, how can you blame Pharaoh if God hardened his heart?" But I'm, uh, yeah, we yeah, need exactly. To, we but need to, but let's talk about that. And we have mentioned this before have, in other podcasts. Have, he, it's more. It goes deeper. Than it that. goes so yeah. much deeper. Now, 
it in the Bible, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart nine different times. Okay, and I'm not going to give you all of those. You can go straight into the story of Exodus and find that. It also says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got three different times. And then it describes Pharaoh's heart as being hard or hardened six times. Yeah. Okay, so. So we've got something interesting going on here. Now, a couple other things we do want to note. The, the Bible tells us in Romans 13, 1 through 3, that God was responsible for this Pharaoh coming to power. Okay? He mm. was responsible. And it says in Exodus 9, 16, God's purpose for bringing this Pharaoh to power was to display his power, God's power. Okay, in, and, and that his name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Mm -hmm. So God had purpose in all of this, okay? Yes. And his purpose is always to bring glory to his name, right? Yes, correct. Okay, so, um, so Pharaoh got caught up in that. But what's, what's interesting to understand about this use of the word harden is let's think about the use of the word um, harden Think of the word strengthen. Mm -hmm. God strengthened what was already in Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. Yeah. It, he, he was, it's, it's like, you know, you find that type of ground and you just use it. Right. God knows what's in the heart. Yes. Okay. Now, look, us looking in from the outside, we might not have seen that in Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. God knew what was on the inside, and he just used it for his purposes. He mm -hmm. always does that. He uses people uh, and, and what their plans are for his purposes, just like we read in the story of Joseph. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the brothers sell him into slavery. God uses that, okay, to bring about their salvation, basically. Yeah. And, and this is a pattern. This is, to, this is not something unusual for Pharaoh. I mean, when you think about Nebuchadnezzar as, as a, someone God used to judge Israel during that time, or how we would use how we used Israel to bring judgment to the Canaanites that's that, right. that later on after the you know that's the story right. of Exodus. So yeah, that's right. With such an interesting mix of of uh, each one of those players making their own choices, but then God working with their own cho those choices, you know, still toward His end, exactly. no matter what. Yeah. So. It wasn't that God was making Pharaoh do something he didn't want to do, okay? Or something he would not have done on his own. God was just essentially helping him stand up for his wicked principles so that God could demonstrate his greater power. Yeah, I think okay? that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so I think that's really important when we look at this particular story. But I think this is going to be applied in a lot of ways, too, is God knows the heart. And, and can use whatever that's in that someone's heart for good or for evil mm -hmm. for his purposes. Yeah. Now, I want to look at a little closer at the word Pharaoh. I've um, done a lot of uh, watching of videos of uh, Bill Cloud. You, you know that. And I love sure. Bill Clouds. And I would highly recommend BillCloud.com. You can go on and get um, his videos and listen to his podcast. And he was the first one that I learned this from. And he broke down the word Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Okay, the title Pharaoh. And he looked at it. Now we're going to look at it in the Hebrew. And the he in Hebrew, Pharaoh is spelled Pei, Resh, Ein, Hey, And it is related very closely 
to the word para, which is pay resh ein. Now, so let's go in and look at this particular word, pay resh ein, para, and what we find is the word means to loosen, to cause disarray, to bring about disorder, and unruliness. Oh, that sounds familiar. Doesn't it, though? <laughs> Doesn't it? So what we're talking about is breaking loose of constraints in order to create disorder and chaos. Now, these could be moral constraints, societal constraints, traditions, customs, legal constraints. More importantly, the restraints set by God. Yeah. Right? There's, there's the key. <laughs> right. What these constraints do what they act as guardrails. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so think of it this way, Gary, this was another confirmation. You know, I always, when I start getting these ideas and then I get confirmations, I got confirmation on Facebook because that meme was going around yeah. about Torah yeah. being a guardrail. Yeah, I posted it. And, and you, yes, you and I had shared it. <laughs> I wasn't the one who first came up with it. And I had right. already started going down this route uh, for this podcast. And then there we go. We have this guy complaining because there's a fence and he wants to jump over it. And then he realizes there's a guardrail on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And so he falls off the cliff. Yeah, he realized it after he jumped after over After he it. jumped over it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so that was a perfect visual. Yes, it was. Right? Yeah. And so we have this idea of God guardrails, Torah being a guardrail. It restrains us from following our own evil ways, which we always know lead to destruction. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's, it's this idea of purging all all things God is what's going on in our in our society and, and around the world. Yeah. It's it's a, a deliberate attempt to purge all things God and and the rising crime rate is no no different than the idea of us having more than two genders. When you purge all <laughs> things God, it's it's just anything goes. Right. And it's just it's so we have chaos, you that's have what cha we saw up yeah. there. You have disarray, you have chaos, disorder, unruliness. Yeah. And everything that we're seeing in our society today because we have gotten rid of all the guardrails. Yeah. And in fact, it's this case it's very very much intentional once again because the the cities with the highest crime rates in our country today are the ones that are are loosening all these laws. I mean, they're they're no bail. Um, you right. get in, go into jail, out of jail the same day. Very minor penalties for major crimes. Major crime. And you take away those guardrails. You take away the any type of deterrent for this criminal who says, well, I don't care. I'll, I'll do the time. I'll be out in a week. and, and I'll get a hot meal and a shower in yeah. the meantime. <laughs> yeah, so, so there, there's a reason for these things. And yet when you take them away, that's, as you described, chaos. Proverbs 39, 18 says, where there is no revelation, okay, this means like divine revelation, mm -hmm. the, peop uh, the people will cast off restraint, Yeah. but happy is he who keeps the Torah. Amen. I mean, perfect summary of what we've just said. It, it really about. is. That was a, that's a great passage, and and I think I think of the Hebrew better Hebrew translation of the Beatitudes, instead of saying blessed are they, blessed are the poor, but is really happy, happy are, are they. they. And mm -hmm. I think it's because of just this. You may not your circumstances may not be perfect, but because of the of the Torah and the the guiding principles of it, you can be happy in all circumstances. 
Now let's get back to Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh was considered a god, mm-hmm. okay? It's by everybody, himself and everybody else, right? So he would have seen himself as having no restraints. Right. Whatever natural restraint we all may have by considering that there's an authority that's higher than ourselves that did not exist for Pharaoh. He had cast off these restraints. He had loosened them, so to speak. So that gets back to that word, para, at the mm-hmm. beginning, okay? He, he did not have any of those restra- restraints in his own mind at all. Right. He did, if, and he acted as if he did not. If you don't have God, all men are right in their own mind. And if you're a man with ultimate power in your situation, boy, that's, that's a dangerous combination. Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the sea and in all deeps. Pharaoh would have thought this applied to himself (laughs) because (laughs) he thought he he was God, right? So he thought whatever he wanted to do, and it wouldn't have quite, he wouldn't have thought a second time about that. And we see that even in that interchange that he goes back and forth with Moses too. Who is this God of yours? You know, I'm God. Who's this God? You know, (laughs) this desert God. How dare he challenge me? Exactly. Now, what's even more interesting, when you look right in the middle of Pharaoh's name, in Hebrew, folks, okay, we're talking about in Hebrew, all right? And this is one of the values of learning Hebrew. Right in the middle of the word, uh, Pharaoh, okay, that's more how you would pronounce it, Pharaoh. And I actually, I use that every time I'm trying to spell Pharaoh, because (laughs) I had the hardest time trying to remember how to spell Pharaoh. And then I was like, no, it's Pharaoh. Okay. Uh-huh. So right in the middle is Ra. Mm. And, and guess what? That's the Hebrew word for evil. Smack in the middle of Pharaoh's title. Gee, what? You think that's a coincidence? Or? I find <laughs> Hebrew to be so fascinating, Gary, because of things yeah. like this. But the, the problem is that all gets lost in a translation. Yeah, it does. So we don't see any of that there. And so that's that's the value of going back and studying, even if it's a little bit of Hebrew, mm-hmm. to try to, to, to look at these words and names, and you can see what is actually related that totally gets lost in translation. Yes, it does. So we've got the word evil right smack dab in the middle of Pharaoh. And we all know evil is the opposite of good, Mm -hmm. right? And in Hebrew, good is tov, okay? Mazel tov, okay? And good thinking Hebraically is something which is operating in its God-given purpose, So when God created the heavens and the earth and he created each of those things in Genesis, he looked at it and he said, it is good. It is is doing exactly what its purpose is. Whatever God wanted it to do, the sun was shining and, you know, the moon was doing what it was supposed to do and the stars were doing what they were supposed Mm -hmm. to do. That is good. There's There's a lesson all right there in itself, Kathy, when you think about it. I mean, mankind is the only part of God's creation, not doing the purpose that it was created for. You know, we can rebel because of the choice. Man rebels. Everything else is doing what God 
purposed, purposed it, to, it do. to do. And so w- w- you would think we'd have enough wisdom at least to understand that we have a purpose too. And that's that this is, goes back to that whole idea of doing versus just knowing. But we are created for a purpose and we should be walking in it. And you're right. This whole idea that every all the animals and the trees do what they're supposed yeah. to do. And man's the only one that's rebelling against it. It reminds me, Gary, I, I, I think you know, um, but if not, I'll tell you, I just took a class on raising chickens. And I one thing that. that I learned was that I'm not ready to raise chickens. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was looking at some of the um, uh, um, statutes and stuff locally about raising chickens. And one thing that I read was if a dog, a neighbor's dog kills your chicken, you can't do anything about it because that's what dogs do. Wow, really? Yes, and that's actually written into the the law, rule, guideline, statute, yeah. whatever you want to call How it. Because a dog is just being yes. a dog, yes. and you can't raise your chicken, and if the dog gets over here and kills it, you can't do anything about that. That could open an interesting can of worms if we let it. Because, I mean, think about when somebody sues somebody for their dog bites. <laughs> Exactly. Now, I think that, that would be, be different, but with a chicken, it's yeah. different because a dog's going to go after a chicken. That's just what dogs do. That's yeah, just what mm-hmm. dogs do. Interesting defense. Um, so, raw or evil, get back to this idea of Tove. Yeah always tries to stop God's purpose. Mm-hmm. So it tries it tries to stop Tov. So Ra always tries to stop, to destroy, to restrain yeah. Tov and God's purposes. Now we're going to look a little closer in the Hebrew. On either side of Ra in Pharaoh's name are the letters Pe and He. Now, of course, this would be uh, looking at it from right to left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Together, these two letters on the outside of the word ra make the Hebrew word for mouth, which is also pronounced pay. Okay, so we have evil within the mouth. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what we've got what here, it's, it's a beautiful word picture. Yeah. And that's, once again, what Hebrew does is exactly. it's, it's word yeah. pictures. So it's Pharaoh speaks the evil against God's purposes, against God's people. And he does that by using his mouth. Mm. That's what he does. So he is trying to break or loosen their connection to God. Um, he's trying to break and loosen their purposes. God, Israel had a purpose, exactly. okay, for the redemption of the world, and God was going to use them. The ultimate purpose. And, and, and so Pharaoh, with that raw right in the middle, is trying to uh, use it's, it's, but it's coming from the mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he picks up a gun and he shoots these people, right? Right. All right? It's not that. This is almost worse. I, I see a pattern here coming. You know, I, we, I think you're right, when Gary. We think, when we think <laughs> of history. I do these setups all the time. <laughs> I, I think so, too. I think that we see this pattern, and, and we're going to talk about this more, okay, as we look in history. But let, let me go one other place here before we get forward into that. Outwardly, Pharaoh is probably a pretty attractive guy. 
Okay. He had everything yeah, I mean, going for him had, from a world standpoint. Exactly. So he was that nice, shiny object that yeah. everybody goes after. You know, a child will go after, ooh, that shiny penny, not that dirty dollar, you know, <laughs> down there. <laughs> the shiny one. Who else is shiny? The angel of light, Satan. Right. The, that's right. how the Bible describes him, mm -hmm. as the angel of light. He's very, very attractive. Satan doesn't get people to follow him by being ugly and dark and nasty and, and right. gross. Right. Okay? He gets them because he's attractive. Yeah. This looks pretty good. And we're drawn away and from our own desires and lust. Yeah, he puts them there in front of us. That's yeah. it, and, and it's the nice, shiny thing yeah. there, yeah. right? And, of course... We've said this before on Pharaoh's headpiece. If you couldn't figure out who Satan's, I mean, who Pharaoh's God is or who Pharaoh is representing, it's right there on his headpiece. Okay, folks? The it's yeah. the serpent. Yeah. Okay? So that's, it's almost like God's going, knock, knock. Come on, guys. Come on. You <laughs> got to get this. I'm giving you all these different clues, okay, about this prototype. Mm. evil leader. Okay. It's right. all right there for you to see. So, um, it's important now, if we look back at this use of words, he's using words to play on emotions. Um, he's, he's trying to say, okay, Hey, this is the right thing to do. This is for your own good. It's for the good of the nation, the collective. This is the patriotic thing to do. Right. So it, he's presenting what is actually quite evil in a very um, attractive way. I mean, he's appealing to people's emotions and, and even to people's desire to do the right thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think one of, the, one of the reasons why this has been repeated so often is how effective it, it really is. It's so effective. You know, Paul warned us about it. Gary, could you read? It's 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. I mean, God, sure. I mean, Paul talks about this probably better than you and I could. Okay. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Perfect. Yeah, he's got his minions. He's got and 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 they they come in this form, attractive. You're right. We're gonna run immediately. For, I mean, you have we have this uh, fl uh, flight or f uh, fight syndrome, you know, automatically built into us, right? Response, I should say. So, how do you get around that? You you know He's, he doesn't want you to your run. Your defenses don't come up. That's you right. You have no defenses. Yeah, uh, uh, initially as being a threat. Exactly. That's how it works. Exactly. And if if Satan always came at us with the the pitchfork and the <laughs> and the uh, horns and all red and black and all that, everybody would run sure. the other way. But he's smarter than that, yeah. right? He's smarter than that. But uh, let's think about this now, uh, relating it to what's been happening in our nation. I think most of us can see that during the last few years, particularly during the pandemic, and, and, oh and actually we're still saying it because we're still dealing with that kind of stuff. so, yes. Um, how many people posed as angels of light? Uh, you, you know, all for our own good, as you said, you know, for the safety of others and for 
you know, I mean, I, I heard scripture out of context. I heard things like, well, what would Jesus do? He would wear a mask. I mean, you know, ridiculous statements like this. Right. But in each of these cases, were they not using the mouth? Yes. Right? Oh, sure. Wasn't the evil coming from the mouth? Mm -hmm. They weren't, people weren't running around and, you know, um, you know, stabbing people without mask, but they were doing the, I don't know how you would describe that, but they were doing the same thing with their words. Yeah. Right? Whether it be shaming or whether it be um, virtue signaling, uh, you know, or, or again, when you say, talk about words, nice words, you're talking about the protection of others. Do this for the country. Do this for others. Do this for grandma. Do this for the baby. You know, that type of thing, which all sound reasonable and okay, unless you can look behind the motivation and understand what was going on. And and we don't even have to get into all of that right now, but boy, some of the results that you and I knew were coming, we're seeing today. I mean, with the vaccines and, Gary, and everything else. It's not because you and I are smarter than anybody else, but it's the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God, and so there were a lot. Not that, not that every single believer understood it either, but um, but. The Spirit of God, when we're willing to listen and we're willing to trust and we're willing to obey, that's always key, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Hebraically, then He is going to reveal which way to go. Mm -hmm. And He is, the Spirit is going to say, whoa, 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 this doesn't seem right. And, and that's going to seem like craziness to the world. Yeah. But the Spirit is speaking to us. Another word related to Ra is Rasha, that is an evil person. Mm. And it in includes the Hebrew letter Sheen, which is the, the pictograph for that, Gary, is teeth. Okay? Wow. So the evil person has this, this evil, okay, this intent to destroy. And then there's the idea of biting and breaking things. That's what your teeth do, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what they do. It rips things. You can mm -hmm. rip things with your teeth. So that is an evil person. Once again, oh, Hebrew is so great. So Pharaoh says, let us deal shrewdly with them. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, he's not being honest. The Bible is clearly telling us yes. this, okay? It's with his words, he's dealing shrewdly with them. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to make a point right here, and I think it's important to note. This was a ruling class idea. It came from the highest representative in government, not from the people. Pharaoh's like, hmm, we, I need to deal shrewdly. We need to deal shrewdly. This was the highest representative of government playing on people's emotions, particularly fear. Right. Uh, it, fear is one, it, probably the uh, most intense emotions. And yes, you do. Great you, motivator. In this, in this case, fearing that somehow they were going to join with their with the enemies of Egypt and and take over creating that great fear within the hearts of his subjects. You know, Hitler did the same thing in Germany with did. the with the Jews. His goal was always to destroy God's people and God's purposes, but he had to do it shrewdly, okay? Mm -hmm. He was no dummy and he used words, okay? Very powerful orator. 
Oh, yeah. And so he used the words to stir up the people. Um, I, I found a copy of a letter, 1919. Okay, this was before things were, were getting bad at all. Yes, okay, but was. even it back then, bad. he's saying, he's talking about the Jews. Uh, there, there lives amongst us a non-German alien race, which neither wishes nor is able to sacrifice its racial character or to deny its feelings, thinkings, and strivings. In other words, the Jews were others. They, they were, were they were othering them. Yes. They were making them enemies of the state. Yes. Okay. We're all together, um, and we all love our country and all that. But there's this other group over here. No, they're they're not. Yeah, and, and we, we mentioned the idea of patterns earlier, and here we go. I mean, we, we look back to the first to attack Israel was Amalek, and we know a, a descendant of Amalek was Haman. We look at the book of Esther, and we see the same type of thing being said by Haman um, to the king. He said, he said that their laws, speaking of the Jews, their laws are different they um, they're not they're not fitting to let them remain. It's not fitting to let them remain among us, and we know the story of Esther, the story of him, and what happened there. He was trying to annihilate the Jewish people. Then we get to Hitler, which you just spoke of, and I I, I don't have any proof of this, but I'll bet you he's a descendant of Amalek too. Right, right. Amen. yes, I've read about he that. He uses <laughs> the same words and does the same thing. So it's it's you know the enemy's tactics don't ever change. And I right. think that there is definitely wisdom in studying the enemy's tactics. Mm -hmm. I, I know we always focus on God, okay, yeah. and his purposes and his will. But it is wise in recognizing that we are in a battle and to yeah. recognize how the enemy works. That's one of the advantages of studying all of these stories. Absolutely. Okay, yes. that's so why they're there. The patterns. Yes. Right, that's why they're there. So that we can now apply this in 2023 and say, all right, where do we see this? pattern. And Gary, we did see it during the pandemic. The, the pandemic was such a game changer for all of us. Yeah, you know, it changed the world and things that maybe were undercover were revealed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in some ways that's actually really good. It was in the case of some of the schooling that we've yes, seen. Yes. And for good pe good people, those who love the Lord, maybe not thinking about some things and now they were revealed. We think about this, uh, we knew that term, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once again, we're othering this other, this group of people that's in our midst. And this was not okay. Okay. The message from the top was this was not okay. Yeah. And what, what happened? They lost their jobs, right? They were kicked out of the military. What, whatever those things were, they, that those were happening to them in, in the same kind of way. So they were seen as a threat to the collective, mm -hmm. right? And um, think about this, Gary, the, those who were trying to gather for church, yeah, right? Closing down the churches, you know? It was closing down the churches. It was closing down. It was ruining small business. And when you put all these things together, and you used a couple of words there that are, are very important, but you also you started with it came from the top. Right. It was coming from the executive branch of our government mm -hmm. all the way down. So there, that's the similarity with a, a pharaoh, dictator, tyrant type person. Right. Highest representative uh, of government. Highest representative of government. And then you also use the word collective, which is so, I mean, you know, Stalin-esque. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this idea that it's not hidden anymore. 
it's not hidden anymore that the, the desire for for that type of totalitarian government, even within the framework we call ourselves, you know, they throw the, throw the word around democracy all the time, a threat to the democracy, threat to democracy. The biggest threat to a democracy is the policies that we're seeing from this 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 administration and and those right. and, and, well a threat to democracy is anything that uh, restricts our freedoms for yeah. instance our freedom of speech being the biggest the one, biggest one yeah. okay so when you and I have gotten uh, censored for anything we've said if uh, if we've posted something that Facebook fact checkers have said no this isn't going out there there's the threat threat to democracy yeah, and exactly. and, and that's the um, same kind of idea and thread that's been running uh, behind the scene for thousands and thousands of years. The enemy never, never, ever changes. We talked about uh, the enemy wanting to restrict God's purposes. So whenever you see this kind of restriction of, of, of God-given freedoms, you know that the enemy is behind that. Satan is behind that. So now you just have to open up your newspapers and say, where is that happening? Okay. Yeah, I, and I, I think it's good advice to know that, if, if, again, that's back to that, l looking through heaven's eyes, oh, yes. looking at the big picture, you can recognize the enemy doing that as well. Right. So when we saw that parents were concerned about their children in the schools and they go to school board meetings and then you see people trying to shut down the parents who are concerned about yeah. the kids, that restraining, keeping the parent from their purpose, their purpose is to protect their child. Exactly. I mean, we all probably all witnessed, or at least most of us, have the, the the father whose daughter was molested and and he turns out being the one hauled off in handcuffs when he's asking the school where or where where is the protection for our children and he's the one that ends up getting hauled off so we see this idea of restraining uh, god's purposes restraining um god's people and their purposes but this uh, this restraint is more acceptable to the society at large than we're going to come go out and shoot all these people in the head. You can't ever start there. No. That's not a good starting place. No, that, that causes that, once again, that reaction, that fight or flight reaction that we were talking about earlier. This is subtle. Yes, and it and takes a little bit of time, time but you've but got patient. to be able to, to, to see it at the very beginning. I want to, you know, the Bible using all of the metaphors and imagery, and when, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of restraint. Think about the, the wheat and the tares. Mm. What is the purpose of the enemy sowing the tares amongst the wheat? but to restrain the wheat, yeah. okay, to take uh, vital nutrients from the wheat, to keep the wheat from growing up in the way that it should. Mm. Uh, very good agricultural metaphor sure. right there, but that's exactly, and it, and it says the enemy sows the tares yeah, amongst hidden, the wheat. Hidden amongst the wheat, yeah. Now we've talked about restraint, and I, I, I do want to make a clarification there's really two kinds of restraint. One is good and one's bad. The good restraint is that which curbs our natural human instincts and our evil inclinations. Mm. In Hebrew, that's called the yetzer hara. Right. Okay, there's ra, evil. Okay, mm -hmm. the evil inclination. Good. Um, this is what Torah does, right? 
being restrained from our evil inclinations is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a guideline to keep us on the on the straight and narrow path. That's the guardrail. That's okay? the guardrail. The other restraint comes from the enemy, and he tries to restrain God's purposes, especially as manifest through his people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting that as much as we say freedom, freedom, freedom all the time in this country, uh, we're not really free we will serve as human beings, one master or the other. Yeah. Okay. We just pick which one it is. We can submit to the beneficial restraints of Torah and to the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or we can be consumed and destroyed by the restraints of the enemy. That's, that's, that's the choice right there. Well it's said. always a choice. Well said. I said before you, life and death, choose life. So mm-hmm. you are going to serve someone. Mm-hmm. Um, someone is going to be your master. So just pick who that is. So you're going to be restrained by one or the yeah, other. And so if you pick. reject God, then you're automatically being restrained by mm-hmm. the evil one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So once again, it's always patterns, 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 mm-hmm. patterns, patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you think Hebraically. Uh, in Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, we learned that the father's agenda is to, call, he says, I want to call my son out of Egypt. God always calls his son, his people out of Egypt. Okay. Um, he took them into Egypt. I know his, uh, Jacob's family for a time and protected them while they were there, mm-hmm. but the tent was never for them to stay there, Gary. That's right. They, 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 their purposes their purposes would never have have gone forth in the world. They, it, it, it would have destroyed God's purpose if they had stayed there. It would have been a little like an abortion. You said you called that the womb, right? Yeah. yeah okay, an incubation in the womb. In yes. the womb. Yeah. So if the enemy tries to keep Israel from coming out of Egypt, that's like an abortion. Mm. I've never heard it put that way before, but that's beautiful. That's perfectly. It's not beautiful. It's profound. It almost came out beautiful. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> profound. Um, you know, but speaking of profound and not beautiful, um, you reminded me of something that a, a uh, Orthodox Jewish man in Israel who lives in Israel told me. I would never have said this, nor would I say it attributing to my own thoughts, but I will. I will repeat what he said to me that he said the Holocaust saved the Jewish people. And what he meant by that was in Europe, they were assimilating. In Europe, they were becoming like all the nations. They, were, they, were, they had cast off the Torah and they had become like all the nations. And he said, if not for the Holocaust, it, might have, it may have worked. So what, again, Satan meant for evil God used. God can good. use it. That's a hard one. That's a really hard I, one. But I. But it was, this is coming from a Jewish man who right. now is a pioneer, who's a pioneer and lives in Israel. Mm, wow. Yeah. You know, I see the same thing happening here in our country, in that um, I believe our nation did have a purpose. It does have a purpose. Did have a purpose. It was founded for a purpose, right? And I think that it's been a beacon for freedom and a safe place for God's people, both mm-hmm. Jew and Gentile. This has been a safe place. That's it's why there. everybody flocks to this nation. Mm-hmm. And okay, and still trying, and to, still trying to, to do that. Our founding was unique. Don't ever let anybody else try to convince you otherwise. And the gospel has gone forth from this nation, perhaps more than any other 
entire nation, state, you know, money-wise and people Mm -hmm. going forth and sharing the gospel. So Satan's not happy with this, right? So he is going to try to restrain this nation, and and he seems to be doing a pretty good job. Doing a pretty good job, yeah. Let's look back at the story. Exodus 1.11 says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. The word taskmasters, taskmasters, I can't say that (laughs) three times, um, was really this kind of first step towards slavery. But there's some really interesting commentary from the rabbis that says that they believe that this was more of like a public works project for the sake of the nation of Egypt, for the sake mm-hmm. of the country. They were forced to work, maybe without pay or very little pay, kind mm-hmm. of similar to like having a labor tax. You know, you work yeah. and then they take all of your money out in taxes. So you basically work for free. So there is a thing, a, a, a way of thinking among the rabbis that this is what happened first, because throwing people straight into slavery is a little distasteful at first. So you kind of have to ease into yeah, this that. Is, this reminds me of the frog in the boiling exactly. water. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So generally in the Bible, when the word taskmaster is used, it's a different word, nagas. But it, and it kind of means to drive or to press in a negative re, for negative reasons. But here, taskmasters is saray, saray, I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, misim. And I did recognize the word sar, mm. prince. This word used for taskmaster is princes of burden. What? Not not princess, a prince, prince more than one, a burden, burden okay? Yeah. So a, a prince of burden, a heavy load. So these taskmasters are a little different. This is the only time this word is used. Mm. Okay. So there's something a little bit different than a, just a pure slave master that's got a different yeah, word. Yeah. So okay. The, the, the inference here is that it was a slow creep. A slow creep. I, I think so. Over, I yeah. see where the rabbis get this yes, at least. Right. Yeah. And the word misim um, means to melt away, to dissolve or to make worthless. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. Now, so not exactly slavery in the in the way we think of it but kind of a slow melt and dissolve yeah okay toward that wow interesting i i remember one when you learn the lessons of the holocaust the first thing that happened or part of the process i shouldn't say the first thing but part of the process of what was happening there was to make the jewish people feel worthless subhuman yes same idea same idea and it the 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 bird, the the Exodus one eleven talks about um, about afflicting them. That's the word I'm looking for. Afflicting them with heavy burden. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've always assumed, oh, these are the big stones that yeah. they're using, but taxes can be a heavy burden oh, too, yeah. right? And this ana word here. Uh, means to humble, like you were just saying, okay? They were humbling to make dependent, to make poor, or put into a state of poverty. So... Yeah, I mean, there's so many thoughts rushing through my head when you think about, I'm thinking about what's going on in in today with the debt right. we're raising. But also, looking backward, this reminds me, and we did, I think we did an entire episode or a, a podcast on this, Nimrod, 
what was the, nothing new under the sun? Remember, oh, he made them yeah. dependent oh, on yes, the government. Oh, yes, that's right. You just used the word dependent, make, to make, make dependent. dependent. Yes. Make dependent yes. on the government so that they eventually forget about God and dependent completely on his government. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, the pattern happened in Nazi Germany, too. Okay, so the, the, the Nazis didn't want to outright at first kill the Jews. For one thing, the Jews had accumulated wealth. They mm-hmm. were they were entrepreneurs. They had to be because they couldn't go into lots of right. certain, you know, certain jobs. They had acquired wealth. So Hitler used that. He pointed to their wealth in order to pit many economically stressed German citizens against the German Jews. Look, mm-hmm. these people have all of the money. So this was Hitler's first step in fueling anti-Semitism long before he made a move against their lives. Okay, slow creep, slow Mm. boil. Right. So in 2010, there was a study done by a uh, a professor at Cologne, a history professor. Jewish wealth confiscated by the Nazis paid for roughly one third of Germany's World Mm. War II Effort, nearly 120 billion marks, which is over 17.4 billion dollars today, was plundered from the German Jews by laws, laws that would be taxes mm-hmm. and looting. So, according to this this study, the tax authorities under the Nazis actively worked to destroy Jews financially. Even the Jews who managed to escape Germany before the Holocaust had to leave part of their wealth behind in the form of an exit tax. Yeah, you know, one comment on that before you go mm-hmm. on. There's an anti-Semitic trope out there, you know, and there's this idea that the Jews are, the global, are behind all the globalism, you know that. And even hear things like the Rothschilds financed the war for Hitler. This is what happened. The, the, the Rothschilds of, of um, Austria had their money confiscated by the Germans to right. use, and they used it for the war. Right, effort. right. You know, we've, we've read in the news that the current administration wants to hire 87,000 new IRS agents. Mm. What tax policy, folks, this is one what way to send people towards slavery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, I'm not saying everything's going to end up that way, but we would not be very smart if we did not learn something from the past and from these patterns. Well, exactly. You know, sometimes when people like you and I talk like this, uh, I guess one of the greatest, uh, the most common things is conspiracy theorists yeah. or alarmists or this or that. But we're trying to uh, alert our audience to the patterns so that you don't go down this road. Even if this were never to become the, to the extent of, of Egypt or Nazi Germany, why would you want to take those steps toward that type of, that way of living? Why would we even want to get as far down the road as right. we've gotten down right now? Exactly. Okay. What we saw with the pandemic, why would sure. we even want to do that? We shouldn't. So the Bible tells us in Exodus one fifteen that the King of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, Uh, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Okay, I cannot take credit for this thought. Once again, I found this in Bill Cloud, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to make a statement that I read from him. This is the government was telling healthcare professionals who should live and who dies. Wow. Isn't that interesting? And listen, Gary, this was women's reproductive health care. 
Wow. Is what they were using here. Which is such a ridiculous word. Right. I mean, I mean terminology when you consider reproductive health care and it's just I the know. opposite. I know, but, I mean, yeah. but once know, the but enemy right. doesn't change, no, he's he doesn't. doing the exact same thing. And what you've got described here actually is you have to partially deliver a baby before, if you see it's a boy or a girl, we're talking about partial birth abortion. Yes, you are. Okay. So nothing different. Nothing different. In same fact, thing. in fact, I was just listening to an explanation. There's a, there's a podcast explanations of the, of the chosen. They were talking, about the idea of a father, not the Jewish mothers and fathers, but pagan parents, the father taking the child out and determining whether they not they wanted to keep the child. Oh, that sounds like something we've heard. <laughs> just lay it, lay it out, and they call it just exposure, and let the child starve to death or die by exposure if they didn't want the child. So again, nothing new under not, the sun. Not providing health care. I think that there was a vote about that in Congress this past week, too, and many people were against providing that care to the infant born after a botched abortion. We should have all their names. Yeah, be well, that them. is available. Yeah. So... The other thing that Exodus 122 says that Pharaoh gave the order to his people top down. Every Hebrew boy that's born must be thrown into the aisle. Let the girls live. So in order for that to happen, neighbors had to start spying on each other and mm -hmm. turning each other in. Did we see any of that recently during coronavirus? Absolutely. Yeah, this shaming. And again, one, again, all through history, patterns. This was this when I read this the first time through Stalin and the Holodomor, yes. when he starved uh, up to maybe potentially 10 million uh, uh, Ukrainians, he had them turning each other in if they were storing any grain. Yes, and it's the same, same thing story. All over again. You know, I was just picked up an old story about uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, and he asked New Yorkers to turn each other in. He says, if you see a crowd. When you see a line that's not distance, when you go to a supermarket that's too crowded, you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. Yes, sir, comrade de Blasio. Yes, yes. it's the exact same thing. Yes. You know, I said um, earlier, anytime I'm going about, I always love it when God kind of confirms the topic that I'm talking about. And it, he did it again with me this week with Skip Moen, uh, published on January 18th, um, a blog called, called Tell Tale Signs. Another thing I can't say three times fast, <laughs> right? And in this, Skip was talking about the arrogance of nations, mm. including the leaders of these nations. And what happens when these nations and these leaders forget God or work against his purposes. So in particular, he noted the book of Obadiah. Now, not mm. many of us read that very much, but in Obadiah 1, 2, and 3, behold, I will make you small among the nations. You're greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. So here we're talking about Edom. He's talking to Edom, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about nations that are, have become arrogant, okay? So the word is, arrogance is Zidon, and and it includes the idea of presumption, thinking you're pretty important, yeah, yeah. rebellion against God, and willful decision-making. There goes back to Pharaoh hardening his own heart. When a nation, through its leaders, are guilty of these things, the nation will be made small, unimportant, insignificant, however you want to say it. But I, I have to read this directly from Skip. He goes... This combination means that the inevitable disgrace is self-inflicted. 
Essentially, it's about willfully crossing boundaries. Okay, once again, thank you, Skip, Mm -hmm. that God has put in place. As we read the rest of Obadiah, we discover that crossing these boundaries is the result of allowing special interest groups to dictate the norms of civilization. When this happens, God not only allows, but initiates the process of throwing away the economic gains of the culture, the military strength of the society, and the security of its people. The civilization ends up destroying itself. Wow, that is so, so appropriate and so perfect. I mean, woke culture right now is doing exactly that, a small group. A small group, the special interest group dictating the norms of civilization. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. I read, I read this today, Kathy, and I found that it'd be very appropriate for what you're saying, too. And this is found in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and the following. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, which is chesed there, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For these I delight, says the Lord. Wow. Perfect. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, the question remains for us, why look at Obadiah? But the question is, is God's will and his sovereignty only effective thousands of years ago, or is it still in effect today? When a leader in a nation rebel against him and his purposes, will that leader in that nation be made small? Mm. If he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the answer has to be a resounding yes. yes. How could how could he not? He would he would not be a just God if if he did not make this nation small. Yeah, these are principles that these are God-given principles. These are this is His righteousness. This is His judgment on the earth, and we as a nation who declared from the beginning that we were one nation under God, and and I believe at that time that understanding was the God of Abraham, Isaac, oh, and Jacob, yes. yeah. and we made those vows before for God and man. Um, we're going to have to pay the price. We have to. And to think that we won't is rather arrogant it on our arrogant. part. And yeah. I know I hear that even amongst Christian circles that, oh, America's going to be great and all this. No, no, not necessarily. If we don't stay in our God-given purpose, which I think we've stepped way out of yeah. that, we then we have a long way back to go. And I'm not positive that yeah. that's going to happen. I I don't think so. I love our country, Gary, so and, and, and you do too. Yes. And I want what's best to, to maintain this country, but I want God's will first. And if it's God's will and who he is and who his character is, that if we step aside we have to expect the same thing. I, I agree. I will say it. There will be no revival without repentance. Right. And, I, and we don't see this country turning. I mean, Teshuvah means to turn and walk with God. Right. And we're not. As a that. nation, As a I don't nation, see that. I see, obviously, individuals. Individuals, of yes, course. Yes. Anybody can. We know that. Right. But as a nation, I just don't right. see it happening at this point. And that would take. I mean, let's pray for the miracle. Exactly. I love this country. As exactly. You, do, but. you know, so. Why are we talking about this today? Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So everything we're facing in a nation, this nation today has, 
happened before. Mm. And that's the value of looking back. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 said, now all these things that happened to the Israelites, that's what he's referring to, uh, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. These are patterns we need to be looking for if we believe we are in the end of the ages. And I, we're more in than we've ever been, right? <laughs> more today than we were yesterday. Exactly. Yes. But I'm not going to end the podcast in despair because we have no reason to despair. We know how the game ends. Remember how we said that the enemy seeks to break things into pieces, to break it up with his teeth, you know, mm-hmm. and destroy? Well, God's word says that it's actually the enemy whom God will break into pieces in the end. So I want to close today by reading, let's call it the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 2, I love Psalm 2, applies not only to the nation of, of Edom or any nation that comes against God and his purposes, but to all nations and all leaders who rebel against God, against God's people and against God's anointed one, Yeshua. Gary, could you read Psalm 2, please? Absolutely. I love the Psalms. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The king and the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains and cast away their cords. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord taunts them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury. I have installed my king on Zion. Upon my holy mountain, I will proclaim the decree spoken to me by the Lord. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Therefore, be wise, O kings. Be admonished, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in your rebellion when his wrath ignites in an instant. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Shalom. Shalom, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.